To left center, deep, gone! Brewers lead it! And a swing and a miss, he struck him out! Down the line, and that's the ball game! Hey Brewers fans, welcome to another episode of Brewers Unfiltered. I'm Brad Ford, the social media manager for the Milwaukee Brewers, and I'm joined as always by the bearded Tim Dillard and baseball nerd Adam McAlvey. Uh, Guys, baseball how we genius, doing? according to my latest um, Twitter attacker. Oh, baseball you're right. Genius. Baseball genius. Thank right. You. It, another line in the bio for Adam McAlvey. Yep. As you he, know, that went straight to the bio. Is it genius like genius I, or genius like. No, it was actually genius. spelled right. So it's, I, give him, I give him credit well, for that's that. That's how you say yeah, it. Yeah, he's a self-important idiot, baseball genius, <laughs> and he took out Dingus. <laughs> well, there's not enough room for all of these. I mean, I got to like keep it current. Thank you. Well, Dingus is my favorite one, and that it isn't in there. It should Maybe it should, because it's so good, it should go in the name. So it's like Adam Dingus McAlvey, <laughs> and then blue checkmark. <laughs> but... Anyway, aside from Adam getting just ripped apart on Twitter for covering the team, because how dare he? <laughs> Did really, you really? When you think about it, it's been a tough. It's been a. Uh, it's been quite a couple of weeks. I love. The, I love it when people. But it's all right. We're here. We're good. Well, people will tweet at me and be like, "Hey, what's this? What, what are you doing? What are we? What are we doing?" And I'm going, "Well, I'm not playing or managing. <laughs> like, yeah, I, it's out of my control. I've done my best." Did the best on pre and post game as I could. <laughs> well, we were, Brad, was it in Pittsburgh we were talking about this? We were trying to come up with the official chart of the stages of grief when um, your favorite team is not playing well. And um, it obviously begins with they're overpaid. That's series oh, yeah. loss. Uh, you lose two series in a row, the manager doesn't know how to, how to handle a bullpen. <laughs> or the GM doesn't know what he's doing. That starts to get a little bit, a little bit more serious. Um, but the ultimate, the, the ultimate sign that the team is in a tough stretch is that the writers just are not asking the tough questions. <laughs> That's when you know things are really bad. So we're, we're definitely in the writers are not asking tough questions stage of this, uh, this slide. So we'll see if uh, the Brewers can break out of that. Well, you know, they've lost five of one in series to the Reds and the Pirates. They lost six of seven if you go back to the last game of the Red Sox. But, you know, we talked a lot about the trade deadline, and I think everyone looked at the trade deadline last week and said, why didn't you do what the Padres did? It, it, it's not all equivalent, but guess what? The Padres are 0-5 yeah. since the their first win with Juan Soto back. They're on a five-game losing streak. So turns out that just acquiring a bunch of bats isn't always the answer. And sometimes things well, that, are difficult regardless. That's got to be very painful for the Padres, too, because it came against the Dodgers, who, you know, there's this. I think the Brewers were in this stage. Um, like, I, I remember in 2018 when the Brewers won that tiebreaker, how special it felt to all of them, because the Cubs had been kind of the top of the division for a while. And it was a big deal for the Brewers to come in and knock them out um, on the final day of the season at their place. And I think that's how the Padres look at the Dodgers right now, right? The Padres are trying to build and like, they're not going to catch the Dodgers in the regular season, but they'd love to knock them out and like, oh, obviously surpass them and win the World Series. And that had to be a really painful week. So look, this game is, uh, this game can be very cruel sometimes. A cruel mistress, much like the sea. A cruel right, mistress, yes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's baseball's, you know, you, they had a exact formula on how to do it correctly. Every team would do it, and you'd have 30 identical teams doing the exact same thing. But um, you can go acquire all the bats and all the arms that you want, but putting it together doesn't always work. Um, I actually like the fact that the Brewers didn't try to go out and get a whole bunch of people and disrupt everything. The, the clubhouse is a very sacred place. The guys are used to seeing the people next to them. And you start putting five or seven new faces in and around and personalities uh, this far into a season. Sometimes that's not the best way to go. But honestly, I mean, the, they're scoring runs. They're scoring five and a half runs per game since uh, the All-Star break. So they're doing their job on the offensive side. Um, the defense is holding its own for the most part. Um, right now, starting pitching's doing pretty good. Right now, I think the bullpen, for the first time, like all season long, has had its scuffles, and it's um, and it's not just like one guy or two guys. So I, that's the only difference right now. But 
that doesn't happen and stay like that for very long. So the turnaround on that's going to be real quick. Uh, the team will be back on track in no time. Well, I would just say that the I think that would um, ease a lot of angst because it, obviously it, the Josh Hader trade looms over all of this. And to have the bullpen go through its worst stretch, arguably, right after that trade makes it um, completely expected and, and fair to wonder whether that had something to do with it. So, Well, that's a lazy man's case. Well, this is a direct result of this. It's like, nah, these that's almost an insult. I know I'm not getting on you. I'm just saying to the Well, I am an idiot. The fans that are like <laughs> no, the fans that are saying like, this is the reason. Um, these guys are professionals, right? Like they don't get a, this far along without people just being there one day and not there the next day. Like you walk in, you're like, Oh, you know, like, oh man, well, we still gotta do our job, right? Doesn't matter what's going on, you gotta do your job. Um so I don't know. I, I I think it's the lazy way to be like, oh, yeah, since they got rid of him, this happened because we see that in managers all the time. And that's just like unfair. You know, I think there's a reasonable amount of my panic because since the trade deadline, the team, you know, as we just discussed, it lost six or seven. But the hard thing is watching the Cardinals be the hottest they've been all season on the other side of things. They close the three game gap. They now lead the division by two games after this hot stretch where they go and they sweep the best team in baseball. What's the concern level for the season, Adam, as we get into the official part of the postseason race? Well, who who are we polling here? If we're polling the 40,000 or so that came um, to those weekend games, which was you know great crowds on a sweltering weekend at American Family Field, the panic level is high. Because it feels like this is a bad, you know, this is some bad, it feels like bad mojo from a trade, from an unpopular trade, unpopular in the stands and unpopular in the clubhouse. Let's just be honest about it. That's, it it was unpopular in the, it, it stunned a lot of the guys inside the room. And I think in time, they're sort of like coming to, they're, they're understanding it. There's dialogue happening. They're working through that kind of stuff. But it's, you know, I, I think the panic level of the public is, is high right now. But look, I, it struck me that they passed another block of 54 games. The season isn't – Craig Council loves our, um, our make-believe uh, you know, dates. Uh, I don't know what you call them, but like blocks on the schedule where we ask them like, oh, it's Memorial Day, you're in first place. Or we ask them about July 4th. We ask them about 81 games. Yesterday was another of those. It was the, the second third of the season uh, was surpassed on Sunday. And they're – their first third was great. Their second third was not great. So it's not just this past week. It's that they've, they, they're they under 500 over this block of games, um, the, the second third of the season. But that tells you there's still a third of the season left, which is like legitimately when Craig Council says there's a lot of baseball to be played, that's not a baseball cliche. That's just a fact. And we've seen how quickly the story can change just since the All-Star break. One good week changes the mood of the whole thing. So... I don't think panic is the right uh, way to go right now. I think they need to get the bullpen in order. And if they do, and if Taylor Rogers and Matt Bush are good, um, I think everyone will feel a lot better. So let's, you know, it's on them to pitch, to pitch well. Tim, how panicked are you? Uh, <clears throat> super, super panicked. Um, <laughs> you know me, I'm always freaking out. Um, I don't know. Uh, concern level. I I think the biggest concern is the bullpen and it's not even are these guys good, you know, or they can can they get the job done? I think here's what I've felt in the last I don't know, the last home stand, I guess. Let's just go with that. You don't know who's coming out. Yeah. If you don't know. You don't know who's coming out for the 6th inning if they have to come out there the 7th, 8th, like you you have no idea. Um and and I think we got spoiled for so long because we just knew exactly who was coming out of the bullpen. You could decipher it, and you you didn't have to look over, you know on the board that they have or in the bullpen to see who's throwing. You could just close your eyes and ears and know exactly who's coming out. I think now I don't even. It's almost like they don't know who's coming out of the bullpen. It's almost like uh, let's throw a dart, see who it hits, and then run them out there because it's try as a player, former player, trying to figure out and analyze what the game plan is with the bullpen, I can't figure it out. So I think that's kind of what you're seeing play out on the field in real time is that maybe they don't have a plan with the bullpen. If they do, it's not a clear cut plan. Maybe they've talked about that in a presser, Adam. I don't know. I, 
I stopped watching those. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, this is one of those things probably that, that will sort itself out. And that's an unsatisfying answer for people who are dropping. I, I always say this. I, you know, I walk, when I walk in, I walk uh, in through the, what do you call it, Brad? That corner where the media gate is like, that's basically uh, right that's the uh, Potawatomi gate, Potawatomi gate in right field. And then there's a stairwell right there. So I walk up. So when I walk in, I write, I walk right past the new cocktail bar and then the the craft beer bar is right on the other side. And the first thing I I see, like the prices up there, like I know what it costs people to come to these games. So like, I want to make clear everything we say, I don't blame anybody if you're like panicked and feeling bad because I know the investment to follow the team to come to these games is a serious investment for people. And when they play poorly over a stretch and the manager says, well, there's a lot of baseball left that doesn't satisfy you if you just came to this game and had a really disappointing outcome. So I want to make that really clear. Like I understand the angst that people are feeling, but this is one of those answers. That's a long way of saying that's not going to satisfy people is these questions about bullpen order. They kind of tend to sort themselves out often. And Matt Bush is going to slot into a space. I mean, we saw in the outing on Sunday, that's the good Matt Bush. That's the stuff. That was, out, where, that was outstanding. I mean, that's nasty, crazy stuff. As David Stern said, like stuff-wise, he might be the nastiest pitcher who moved at the deadline. And Taylor Rogers is like a really good, totally overlooked in the disappointment of the Hader trade. Taylor Rogers is really good. And like Josh Hader, he had a poor July. And they're just banking on him being really good again. So, they, the, you know, there's some the order will emerge in time. Um, but again, I just want to emphasize that I, I, I know that's not a satisfying answer for people who go to the game and want kind of the result now. I think one thing I looked at when we were talking about just with the with the team, I always like to compare to last year. I've done it on the podcast before. So I went back and looked at 2021. You want to know? Last year, when they lost their 50th game, their record was 78 and 50. I'm just throwing that out there. Is wow. There were 20 games over when they lost the 50th game. Uh, only reason to say that is this is a different year, and they're only two games back. And you look at what they did last year, maybe, maybe they're having the slow start to get a run and go. That's how it feels. Once they get their ducks in a row, they're going to start stomping on folks just because I think they know what they're doing. And they got Freddie Peralta back like that. That right there, you start lining up the guys that are going to start. It makes your heart get really warm. (laughs) Right. And you look at pitches per outing. Brewers are third in all of baseball by letting their guys go out there and pitch. And guys are going to get better. Corbin Burns is going to get better, even better as things go on. Woodruff has been outstanding. Peralta. I think they're lining things up very well. All they got to do is get in the playoffs. That's it. So it doesn't matter if they have 78, 50, you know, whatever it is, whatever the number is, if they can get to the playoffs. They'll be fine. So that's the other debate. I think that's really happened, played out over the last, since the trade. And I understand that people are going to have different outlooks on this. Um, So you can disagree with it, but I think it's interesting to just understand the thinking of David Stearns in the front office. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, and I'm not saying it's unfair to disagree because a lot of people will disagree, but their outlook is that the best way to win the World Series is to get in the playoffs. And the best way to run the team is to not have these wild swings of all in, go for it, and not worry about any consequences, and then have the consequences be five years of pain. And there's, I've seen a lot of responses to that when it's articulated saying, I would trade a championship for 10 years of pain. Um, that's easy. I would just argue that's easy to say, but when we, we dip in, when we go around, we kind of dip into the social media world of the nationals and, the well, the Padres at times and these other teams who are in that world. And I'm just telling you, that's easy to say, but it's not easy to live. And, um, you know, you, you, again, you can disagree that that's the, the way to go, but, but. David Stern's strategy is the best way to win the World Series is to get in the playoffs as many times as possible. Um, And he's just sticking to that strategy. And that explains as much as anything, the Josh Hader trade. So disagree with it, fine. But at least like if you can just pause being so angry long enough to, to 
acknowledge that that's the strategy, then then come up with your argument against that strategy. And, and that's totally fine. Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, the team is getting some huge additions back and that's almost as good of his trade as a trade right adam no never say that that also makes people very mad <laughs> i just wanted to tweak everybody bring back some rough few weeks as he tried to talk about how exciting it was to get freddie peralta back in all honesty it we talk about the bullpen but there are some huge names coming back to the bullpen and soon it's going to be a pretty long roster of nasty nasty stuff I mean, when you look at maybe one of the weaker relievers in that pen, and I don't mean weaker as an insult, but just as Jake Cousins, that's a deep pen. I think a lot of people would kill to have a Jake Cousins type as their seventh inning guy, and soon he's going to be, you know, a a back-end member of that bullpen. So you look at, that could eventually be monstrous. Um, The, I think... I get why fans are mad at the offense and I get that it's hard to watch the team not score when there's runners in scoring position on what feels like a consistent basis. But if you look at the run totals, they've been putting up a good amount of runs and just losing by more. I get that sounds like a maddenism, but where it's like, oh, the team that scores more is going to win. But what I mean is like... I get that they're losing and you want to blame it on something and the entire season it's been the offense is bad. But when you go back and you look at the numbers, the the runs scored in the last few weeks have actually been pretty substantial. We've seen five to seven runs on a what feels like consistent basis. So I get that people still want to be mad about the offense. It's just the bullpen still shaking out and that's difficult. You know, we had the day off yesterday. But now we're getting into two really big series, five really big games, where the Tampa Bay Rays, that always tough team, comes in. And then the now first place St. Louis Cardinals, who are on an unbelievable hot streak, come not unbelievable, but a hot streak, poor timed hot streak for us, come into town. Is this a good chance for the Brewers to kind of right the ship if they have a really good week now? Adam. Oh, well, of, of course. And and that St. Louis, that series in St. Louis is not going to decide the season, but it certainly is going to impact everybody's mood <laughs> like one way or the other, because, you know, you're either going to lose ground or gain in the three game series. Uh, so that's a that's just a, um, a a big series for the Brewers to kind of change uh, the mojo. And I would just say one thing Hunter Renfro said that honestly, I had to go back upstairs and check on Sunday, I asked him whether this is this feels like the toughest their their toughest like test of this season, the stretch. And he said, "No, no, there was that stretch where we lost eight or nine in a row earlier this year." And like honestly, like guys, I forgot that stretch. It was a it was a, a, the Philly series where Hader gave up the first runs of, of his season, and then uh, what Washington and New York that that road trip where they were playing and and losing. They went through a losing streak worse than what they went through this past week, but I kind of forgot about it. And I think the biggest difference is the Cardinals were scuffling then too. So that stretch didn't cost the Brewers. And the difference with this stretch is that it's really cost the Brewers in a big way where they went from what, three or four up to two back as we sit here and talk. So this series in St. Louis is in big red letters, a big series, no matter what they say about, um, you know, lots of baseball to play. It's a very important series. I'll never forget those first two weeks of June because I've been talking to my counselor a ton about them. They weigh heavily on me. Tim, how is the, as a player, you're sitting in the clubhouse and you look at this next week of play, kind of what's the mindset going in? Is it like we had to bring it all because this is our opportunity to, you know, get back into things? Or is it still at this point, just play the game? You're looking at a series where you're playing a tough AL team and you're playing the division leader. What's the mentality going into this? Well, I would say most players don't even look through the week. They just want to know where they're going to be. Is, hey, are we at home tomorrow? Are we traveling? Like they, It's really on a moment-to-moment basis. They're going, to, they're going to see the Rays coming in, and they're going to ask a bunch <laughs> of questions like, wait, it's only two games? Which is strange. You get day off, two games, day off. They're like, you sure it's not three? I guarantee they've all double-checked it like two or three times. They're like, wait, oh, okay, only two games. And then they're going to look over the pitching staff. They're going to look over the hitters. They're going to have their meetings. 
uh, and it's going to be business as usual. And that's the way you have to be, right? This is this game is Groundhog Day. It's the same thing every single day. And if you don't like that movie, you're probably not going to like baseball or being a baseball player. <laughs> to me, that's the fun part about it because it's you know what to do. These guys know what to do. You don't have to encourage them in that way. You don't have to let them know what their job is. They don't have to look in the week and say, okay, we're playing. This is a big series. This is bigger than all the others. Um, and you don't want that. You don't want players get, being on a roller coaster on the back of a camel. Uh, you want them to be just nice and easy and know what they have to do because when they're in that best frame of mind, that's when you get get the most out of the players. So for them, it's all about just beating up on the Rays, uh, trying to figure out how they can get to – What's how do you pronounce the guy's name that's pitching today? No, don't test me. Stop testing me on things I don't know. Um, I don't have my pronunciation. Much like no. a player, I have not looked at the yeah, schedule. Yeah, I can't remember. So. Tim, now is oh, on a roller coaster oh. and the back of a camel two separate things, or are you talking about being on a roller coaster while riding a camel? No, you're on a roller coaster that is on the back of a camel oh. while the camel's moving. So it's just it's like a double roller coaster. It, it doesn't matter. It's, it's that sounds like uh, <laughs> animal abuse. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a giant camel. The camel <laughs> put the roller coaster on his back. Don't okay. Don't, my analogy so work. because you know I'm starting I'm to feel really bad for this camel. <laughs> <laughs> the ups and downs <laughs> little highs little lows oh because it has humps and you're riding the humps mm-hmm. yeah so we why are you riding the camel down its own back <laughs> all right I'll, I'll stop being a pain but continue no that was it I okay mean, I, I just, well that was yeah, it that was it <laughs> that was it there's a camel uh roller coaster y'all should check out coming to six flags this weekend was a great injection of nostalgia. Let's talk about something fun. You had the 82 team in town this weekend. And then you had some of the best players from the last two decades all in town at once in Ryan Braun, Prince Fielder, and Jonathan Lucroy. I mean, it was great from a fan perspective to see these guys just to... Uh, not just take a trip down memory lane, but check in how they're doing, how proud they are and what they did for this team, how connected they are to this city, and be reminded about how impactful this city is on baseball players. I think that was a big part of it. Because even the ones who spent from the 82 team who spent little time here still seem to have a substantial connection to not just their colleagues, or their peers and their friends from their team, but to the city itself and the fans. Adam, you grew up a, you know, a Brewers nerd. I, I know you're a baseball genius. Do you have a favorite moment from watching these players? Well, I don't know if it's a moment, but I would just say that watching Prince Fielder play was a, uh, a lot of fun because I, I, my first season was 2001 covering the Brewers. And then, you know, as I was kind of figuring it out, they immediately lost 106 games in 2002. And it was pretty dark times and went through this rebuild, which was and that's the Ricky, yeah, which was really tough. Yep. And then um, Prince Fielder, Ricky Weeks, J.J. Hardy, Corey Hart, Ben Sheets, you know, they kind of pulled the franchise up and I got to witness a city enjoying baseball um, over a, the course of a bunch of summers. And Prince was right. Prince was the heart and soul of that. Like he was the he was their heart. He was their toughness. He was the guy who played every day. There were never any excuses. He had edge. He would fight you. Um, a lot of fun. And, you know, look, if, as I think back, I mean, obviously, um, the vegetarian era was is very memorable with Prince because those guys loved to rib him about it. And I, I remember when I was working on the, the 50th anniversary book, asking all the guys about Prince and they all had their favorite stories. And it's like one of those things that has become like legend. So you don't know which stories are true and which aren't. But J.J. Hardy tells this story. And I remember them doing this at, at, in Maryvale. They used to do these home run derbies where they would get a group with Ricky, Prince, J.J. and Hart. And they would do these, these like super competitive home run derbies during BP. And Prince in his vegetarian phase, according to J.J. Hardy, was hitting like warning track shot after warning track shot. And they would go in and they would be ribbing him about this no protein diet is not working for you. Like, what are you doing? And Prince was so mad. And JJ Hardy swears this is true that he looked over once and Prince had a plate of chicken wings on his lap that he was hiding under the table. He was trying to get a little hidden protein. So I don't know whether that's true or not. It's 
probably one of those deals that's just a legend. Um, but Prince did not like to lose, I suppose, is the, the moral of that story. Tim, I was watching from home. Adam was watching from the press box. You were watching these guys, specifically Luke Roy, Braun, and Fielder, from the field. What are some of your favorite memories of those three? Wow. Um, well, I got to, I got to interview them. Uh, Bally Sports Wisconsin kind of made me, you know, get a microphone and grab them to the side. So it was kind of weird. The best stuff that we talked about is probably not on camera. Just <laughs> walking in and then kind of making fun of me and asking me questions about what I'm doing uh, with this whole broadcasting thing. But I mean, those are those are three great players in their own right. And um, I had three different experiences with him. I came up with Braun, really. Well, I was already playing, and he kind of got drafted and climbed the ladder and left me in the dust. <laughs> but um, just seeing his what he brought uh, to to everyday lineup, like you just in the minor leagues, you couldn't get him out. Had him for half a season, double A, a month in triple A, uh, and then of course Prince. Prince is the best clubhouse guy that's ever walked on planet Earth. He just was a presence. Um, and I think the biggest thing for Prince was the the fact that when he was gone in 2012, the clubhouse was way different. After a loss, it hit harder because you didn't have him, the leader, you know, letting everybody breathe that fresh air. Like, hey, we'll get him tomorrow. Um, and then, of course, Lucroy, I, t- I told him, I was like, as long as I've been throwing a sinker in my career, nobody had caught it as good as him uh, till I threw to him in um, spring training, his first big league camp. And that was a big deal because as a guy that just – you know, was a catcher and sees all this stuff for him to be that young and have an idea on where most guys have no idea how to catch a pitch like this. He was, he had already mastered it. So, I mean, they're you're talking about three very unique and special individuals and, um, and friends. I mean, they're just, they're good dudes. Tim, you have any memories of throwing live BP to any of those guys in spring training? Save it. Are you making fun of me? No. Why oh, is there don't a story? <laughs> oh gosh. Oh man. So I show, so I show up to spring training 2000, I think 10, they switched me sidearm. <laughs> I thought you knew something about this. No, I, I, up. I've never shared this with anyone. Um, so they teach me sidearm and they're like, all right, we'll throw a bullpen. So I throw a bullpen. I've never thrown sidearm before I do it. And they're like, that's pretty good. It's like, how about a live BP tomorrow? I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I get Let's out there live. Yeah. Live BP. I got Prince Braun and I think Corey Hart and I'm going I've never done this before and the last thing I want to do is hit these dudes right I think one or two of them just signed a deal so I'm not gonna I don't want to hit them so I'm throwing meatball after meatball right down the middle (laughs) I mean it is just if I ever had any self-confidence they exited the field (laughs) (laughs) never came back I think you told me this and I think you told me this in spring training because you said that not only were they flying out, but in the four field area in the back, you were in the deep park, right? You were, oh, yeah. it wasn't the like short track. It was the deep park and they were just launching you out. Yeah. Like they put up these screens to stop the ball from like hitting in the parking lot or yeah, a school that. that's in center field. And I mean, the balls were just into oblivion and I was just, and I was, <laughs> I was and all I could oh. think was, they're like, who is this clown? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, throw over the top. Sidearm doesn't work. Uh, but no, it was, um, it just shows like these guys, like they just, they, they know what they're doing. They know their craft. And uh, to be able to do it day in and day out, especially Prince, they only missed 13 games in six seasons with the Brewers. That's just absolutely incredible. Uh, you expect that of a DH or a first baseman, but still there's guys that are playing now that can't come close to that. So um yeah, I don't know. A lot of memories there. A lot of home runs given up. <laughs> it, you know, Tim, you talk about your Operation Bally's get interviews. We did send Adam on an operation Ooh. of his own to get interviews for us that we'll be listening to shortly. But as a fan of these three, I think I have a lot of the same favorite memories that everyone has uh, where it's. You know, 2008, I was in the stands for September 28th where Braun hits the game-winning home run and, you know, it ends the postseason streak at, what, 26 years. Well, we remember 26 years because of Solomon Torres. You waited 26 years! (laughs) 
Salomon Torres does not get mentioned enough when 2008 is brought up. We need to get him back. It's always Braun, Fielder, and CC, and it's not Salomon Torres. And that man deserves a lot of Let's get Salomon Torres on the pod. He builds uh, Dominican complexes now for teams. He's like a construction guy. Anyway, sorry, Brad, I stomped Because what, that season started in Wrigley with Gagne, right? Yeah, exactly. It was it was sheets pitching. There was the rain delay. Gagne came out. He had to take the goggles off because it kept fogging. Yeah. And then you go from Eric Gagne, a guy who still has a bunch of records as a reliever, to Salomon Torres, a guy that Doug Melvin just kind of picked up from the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he was super reliable all year. And it's really weird because, like, I remember him being very good. And I go back and I look at the stats and it's not what today closer stats are. So it's always weird going back in time and like looking at different eras and being like, oh, 313 was good now. Now the expectation is like 190 for ERA. Craig Council always says this. The older we get, the better we get. In other words, the, mm-hmm. the further away you get from a guy's career, the more just incredible. Uh, I mean, Fielder, the memories are timeless. It's just like even things that are, will never be replayed again, like watching that guy get a hold of a foul ball and like crush it to the top part of the 400s it's you know 30 feet right of the foul pole um, but just hitting monster bombs and then also just having a ton of fun on the field while doing it because I think it was easy for fans to have fun around fielder because he always looked like he was having fun and then Lucroy ended this period of kind of catcher purgatory for the Brewers you went from you know Faces like Jason Kendall, which was two years of consistency, but he was at the end of his career. Greg Zahn uh, and all these names that would come in and out every year. Damian Miller, Chad Moeller, like there was never really consistency there. Then you finally get Jonathan Lucroy. Not only is he good, but he at for a time was one probably t- one of two of the best catchers in the league, either behind Yadier Molina or Benji her um, Buster Posey. So it was just really fun to watch them. And I can't wait to hear from them. But first, we need to take a break. When we return, we're listening to Adam's interviews. We sent him on a covert mission. They wouldn't talk to him, so we had to put a mustache on him so they wouldn't remember who he was. It was one of those glasses with a giant nose because otherwise they refused. They said he actually had to be out of the press conference. So we'll hear Adam's covert interviews when we come back. We're back, and I know everyone wants to hear from three of the most popular brewers of all time, so we got them together. It's Noria Oki, Tim Dillard, <laughs> yeah. and... No? <laughs> Are those not the three we have coming up? I love Noria Oki. He was fun. Uh, yeah, Aoki was legit, man. So, Adam, we tried to get a couple interviews for this episode, and there were some failures that will let be failures for ourselves. We'll keep those on the side. One of them included getting just completely waved off by Robin Yount. He, he was in the hallways. We're about to talk to him. And he's like, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. And who am I to tell Robin Yount? No, you can't yeah. go hang out with your Hall of Famer yeah, buddies. We'll, uh, we'll save Robin for a future pod. But we did get the three guys who were honored on Saturday. And it was some pretty good cat wrangling by me, if I say so myself, because they did a press conference. And then it ended and it was like, okay, they're free for interviews. And it was like, I, I know Prince Fielder well enough to know that you better go grab him while he's gettable because uh, otherwise he is gone. <laughs> so I got Prince Fielder first. We stepped out into the hall and had a chance to talk for a couple minutes about what he's doing now. And spoiler alert, one of those things is racquetball. All right. So here's Prince. Okay, I'm here with Prince Fielder, who officially now is in the Brewers Walk of Fame, the highest honor that the Brewers bestow. It's the Brewers Hall of Fame, basically. And, and Prince, you talked about in the little speech you gave that, you know, you've been focused on being a dad for the last couple of years and not thinking much about baseball. When you hear your all your, your accolades again, what do you think? Uh, it feels good. I mean, more so the people, uh, you know, now I'm on the, um, the Walk of Fame, the people that are associated with it's pretty cool. That's, uh, you know. When you're playing, you don't realize, you know, you think you have ability, but you never think you're, you know, should be mentioned with those kind of guys. So to kind of hear it now, it feels good, you know, that uh, I had a few good moments. So it's pretty, pretty good feeling so far. The craziest thing, Prince, for us, and I'm sure you hear this like every time you run into anybody, mm. is when we see your boys. Mm. We think about standing in the clubhouse, interviewing you, and yeah. like 
getting hit in the side of the head by wiffle balls. Yeah, especially not. Well, my uh, Jaden had he had dreads. He had, took him out, so now he really looks like he yeah. did when we were here. You know, he has, still has the same High School Musical haircut. Our brother. So you know what I mean. So now that uh, you know, it's really really making me feel old because they look just like they did when I was here. So it's uh, it's always good, man, to see everything come full circle. And like I said, seeing the boys grow up and. You know, they're walking around here like, man, we were just here. Like, yeah, but that was a long time ago. So it's always good. Prince Jaden's a pretty good ball player, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's pretty good, man. Uh, he was going to go to FAMU, but I th- he decommitted. Now he's going to go to IMG for fifth year. He's only 17, so he figured, you know, a little more time. And my youngest, uh, the, the little guy, you know, he's, <laughs> he's in 11th grade. He's going to uh, school in Orlando. So, you know, it's pretty good seeing them grow up. You know, they're both taller than me, so. That's been answered. That that <laughs> that that's been answered for me. Seeing them taller than I am, so I'm happy, and they're uh, doing well. Prince, when when they do these things, they show you, uh, you know, they do the video highlights and, and things like that. Um, when you see those moments, what what, what do you think about? Uh, I don't know, man. There's not much I can do to get that same feeling. You know, what I mean, it's kept, you know, can't really go and get pumped up playing golf or anything like that so it's just I just miss being able to uh you know give 100% on the field and just play you know do something and have it mean something you know now you know when I play sports it's just to have fun or you know racquetball but just being in it where it's like that much competition and playing against the best is just a lot of fun that's all how how do you what do you do to like get that rush have you found any uh hobbies or anything that might surprise people no, just seeing my kids at a line drive really does it for me right now. That's that's close enough. Just seeing them have fun, seeing them play hard is, uh, you know, seeing how they order their shoes and get all their cleats together. Just being with them and seeing them act like the way I did, basically, as a kid my whole career. So seeing how they're just having fun with it and, you know, coming into their own makes it, uh, makes it real enjoyable. Prince, um... The, the other thing Doug talked about a lot is playing every day yeah. for so long. And you put your body through a lot in your baseball career. Yeah. You have any regrets? Uh, that's a good question. Not now, because I don't think um, I, I would have been able to be the player I was if I didn't play that way. You know, because I don't know. I think that just would made me better, I think. If I, you know, for me, if I didn't play every day, I just always felt like I left the iron on in the house. Just a bad feeling, you know. Um, so like I always said, if I wasn't broken or bleeding, I just felt like I should be out there, you know. So I think for me, that's what made me a better player. I don't think I wouldn't advise that to everybody. As you see, I'm out of the game early. But I mean, you know, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be at peace, you know. And obviously, Prince, the, the day probably people think about you and think about that team, it's probably the last day of the 08 regular season. Mm. Maybe you have a different day that stands out most in your mind, but are there anything did anything happen that day behind the scenes that really stands out for you in your memory is your favorite part of that day Uh, I don't know I think just the whole you know as soon as we got CC and then just everything was different I think just that whole just the start from there once CC came and then you know everybody just got together Bronny hit the you know, to get the home run that put us ahead. CC threw every one, two days and threw a thousand pitches a game. It was just a lot of people doing great things, and I just, uh, just a lot of, a lot of fun to watch. Being, you know, even though I was on the team, I just got to sit back and watch, and it was uh, really enjoyable. Do you have anything? Are you a memorabilia guy? Do you have anything saved in your house that reminds you of your time here? Uh, no, I, I have a nice house. That reminds. Me. <laughs> That reminds me of the, you know. (laughs) So that reminds me of the good times here. Obviously, without these times, I wouldn't have a good house. So that definitely brings back memories, for sure. Well, thanks, Prince. We really appreciate it. And thanks for everything you did for the city. No problem. You know, it's funny when we were going into that year talking and about wrangling Fielder. And I think I wanted to talk about how quickly you really did that interview. Because I was leaving the ceremony. I'm like, I got the pictures. I got the videos. I can head out of here. I put stuff up on social. And I walk out a door and there's Adam interviewing Prince. I'm like, well, that's why you hear like all the guys in the background like saying, hi, hey, how you doing? Because it's like, I just grabbed him. I just did it. Did my best. (laughs) Well, the next one, too, you'll definitely hear background noise because Ryan Braun, we searched around for like a quiet place of which there were none. So we went into this, um, this little suite next to the area where we did the press conference. 
which was great for about 10 seconds. And then it began to fill up with kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for Ryan Braun, you're going to hear all of his kids in the background, all of Lucroy's kids. Fielder's whole family came in and it kind of filled the room fills up. So uh, hopefully it's, you know, Ryan Braun's a good enunciator. So I think you'll be able to hear from him and what he is up to. And he is no surprise, Mr. Entrepreneur. Okay, with Ryan Braun, who is making this an annual thing now where you come in and put on a suit and get honored in some way. So this year, it's the Wall of Honor. Um, Councils had the best line of the day, one of the best lines of the day when he congratulated you on joining him. And what an honor it is to join. How much of an honor is it to join him in this permanent installation? It really is a tremendous honor. I think uh, Council's obviously a, a phenomenal player here. He um, has played such an integral role in the success of this organization in so many ways. I think he um, downplays his success as a player. He was a better player than he gives himself credit for. He's been an incredible manager, uh, worked in the front office. So obviously um, to be amongst him and so many other franchise greats and to be able to share the day with Jonathan Lupin, our Prince Fielder, uh, is really special. It's really cool. Well, let's start with Prince, because you were just telling in the other room the story of knowing Prince longer than I think I knew you knew him. Can you tell that story? Yeah, so we both of us graduated high school in 02, um, and there were a number of like national showcases. I remember in Arizona, it was something called the Team One Showcase, um, and I remember seeing him run for the first time and just being incredibly impressed with the athleticism. That's, I don't know if they still do the 60-yard dash, but I remember him running the 60-yard dash specifically um, and just being shocked at the athleticism. Do you remember like times like how have you guys ever like bantered about this? Who was faster at the time? Because you're known a lot, a lot more for your speed, I would say. I don't I don't remember the specific times, but I would I would just, you know, um, say that he was faster and more athletic than most people gave him credit for Um, an incredible competitor, an incredible hitter um, and just a lot of fun to be around. Can you tell us something maybe off the field? Because we all got to see the things he did on the field and 50 homers and just those huge seasons he had. Um, what was? Do you have a, a favorite off-the-field story about what it was like to be his teammate? I mean, there were so many. He's just full of fun, you know? Like, every day he, he enjoys life. He gets the most out of being at the ballpark every day. I think, uh, you know, he, he set the tone for those teams with his toughness. It was talked about a lot today, but he played every single day. There was no DH. He ran every single ball out. I think they said he missed 12 or 13 games in six years. Um, and not only that, he wouldn't come out of games late teams winning teams losing whatever he wanted to play every inning of every game um and i think that in in that way um he was one of the toughest if not the toughest players i've ever played with um but off the field he was just a lot of fun i was i was fortunate to come up shortly after him ricky jj hardy Corey hart um some other young guys who had been through a similar experience to what i was doing and trying to get acclimated to the major leagues um so i felt very fortunate to be able to to you know have him and and the other guys to be able to ask questions of Ryan, there's this debate here right now um, because the Brewers have made the postseason four years in a row going for five, and it's like the bar is now World Series or, for a lot of people, bust. I'm curious about your perspective on that, having been here starting in 2007 when maybe the bar was in a different place. Well, I would just say you can't win a World Series without getting to the postseason, right? I mean, if we look back on, for me, my 15 years of playing professionally, um, there were a lot of teams that ended up winning the World Series who were not the best team on a given year. They just happened to get hot for those three weeks. Um, And I know it's been said a a handful of times over the last few days, but the key to winning a World Series is giving yourself as many opportunities as possible. Um, If you look at those, you know, great Dodger teams, they've got to the playoffs the last 10 years, and it was, you know, only one time were they able to win it. Um, Uh despite the fact that they were obviously incredibly talented. So, um, you know, the goal has to be to get there before you can focus on winning it. Um, And the best team isn't guaranteed to win it every year. So I I do think it's important to put yourself in a position to get there as often as possible. Um, One other day I wanted to ask you about, because we've talked about 08 finale so many times. The other day that stands out to me is 11, when you guys lost game six to the Cardinals and were eliminated in the NLCS. And there was this feeling, I remember in the clubhouse, Prince's kids in tears. And I don't know if that's because they had just lost or if they even knew like this, there might be something different in daddy's future. I don't know how much they knew at the time. What do you remember about when we all left the room that day? 
Um, I mean, I don't really. I don't. I mean, I, it's painful. Every time you lose, it's incredibly painful. Obviously, all of us were well aware of his impending free agency and some of the other guys who were unlikely to be back with the team and, and how there was a possibility of, you know, kind of the, the direction um, and competitive window of the organization, not necessarily closing, but heading in that direction. Um, but I don't know. I mean, when I think back and reflect, I reflect on the celebrations and the positive moments and winning the big games. Um, but certainly, I mean, all, all of those losses are, are incredibly painful, um, but especially that year. I mean, we knew we were good enough uh, to win a World Series and just didn't work out for us. And how about Luke, the other guy that was honored today? Uh, what I remember kind of is him coming up straight from Double A and being really young in the big leagues, and you got to watch him learn this job. Yeah, I mean, he worked as hard as anybody that I ever played with, cared as much as anybody that I ever played with. Um, a lot of people talked about it today, but he cared so much about the pitchers. He cared so hard about, you know, so much about his craft and about getting better um, and about trying to figure out how to put, you know, the pitching staff in the optimal position to be successful. And he was really at the forefront of a lot of this catching analytics stuff. He was one of the first guys um, that focused on it, that was really good at it. Um, in his last few years with us, we had a lot of guys who benefited from that. Um, but he was, you know, I don't know uh, specifically some of the numbers or career numbers of some of our other catchers, but one of the greatest catchers in franchise history. So it's been like 11 months, I think, since you were here and officially made it official. Um, what have you been doing as a retired person? Yeah, I mean, I'm not retired. I have two jobs. Um, I'm, parenting's the only thing I'm really doing full, full-time, which uh, is the greatest joy of my life. Uh, but I took a job with an asset management firm about a year ago. Um, I love being around smart people, doing interesting things. Uh, and then also I'm part of a, a group that's launching a baseball instructional app um, called the Futures App. It's in beta testing right now, but something we're incredibly excited about. Um, handful of high-profile brewers and, and you know about 20 high-profile players across the sport are involved. So um, founders brought me in to kind of be the liaison between the baseball side and business side uh, about 18 months ago, actually. So I'm super excited about the progress we've made there. Um, and on the finance front, I've always loved math and numbers. Um, love being around smart people that, that you know are constantly teaching me um, the nuances of the space. So super fun. Has Mark promised you any future employment? Should you choose to make a jump? Um... Mark's been, uh, you know, an, an incredible resource for me. Obviously, him and I have talked finance extensively for many, many years. Uh, I've learned so much from him. I've bounced so many things off of him. Him and I have done a ton of interesting things together, um, and I just feel so grateful that he's a, he's a resource for me as, as I've officially entered the space. Well, Ryan, thank you very much. Thanks for all the time again, as always, and over the years, too. You were great just to uh, give us your time very often. So we appreciate it, and congratulations. Thank you. Always, uh, always great to be back. Thanks. I think that was an interesting facet of the interviews where <laughs> uh, it was interesting to see these guys come back and just have kids, <laughs> you know, like Prince obviously had his two sons when he played, but now Luke Roy has the three kids. Braun has three kids. Uh, two were actively around for the ceremony while the other one is an infant and I think was mostly sleeping. So <laughs> it was interesting to see them all come back. But also, Luke Roy's kid, wow, looks just like him. Yeah. His youngest, it, that is a mini Luke Roy. So it was fun to see him with his family. And you could tell he was really trying to soak it in with his kids and appreciate the moments he had with his family, Adam. Well, yeah. And I think of all the of the three guys, Luke Roy, this was a pretty emotional day. He formally signed his retirement papers. He retired a brewer. It was a very big deal to him. He's been thinking about it for quite some time since he got let go by the Braves last year. And um, look, it was a kind of a big day because his oldest, Elia, who was born in Milwaukee, um, turned 12 on that, that same day. So kind of sort of a, a life coming full circle type thing for Jonathan Lucroy, who is very, very appreciative of his time here. And we talked to also about his time in Milwaukee and what he's up to as a old, grizzled, retired guy. So here's Luke. Okay, I'm here with Jonathan Lucroy, who just went onto the Brewers' Wall of Honor alongside Ryan Braun and saw Prince Fielder go into the Walk of Fame. Um, you guys were teammates at the end of Prince's Brewers' tenure, and what's it like just to be together again and, and then see those highlights that they showed? You know, it's special, and, you know, I'm so thankful that the Brewers allowed me to come in and retire as a, as a Brewer, and then... Um, you know, get put on that wall out there. And it's a, it's a very, especially amongst those, all, all those greats that the Brewers have, you know, had over the years. And I'm so thankful for that. And so, um, 
being able to be around these guys and just going with them and spend this day with them is special, you know, especially after spending so much time with them in the trenches and fighting and battling and winning and competing. And, and, and you know, it's been, a, it's been a great privilege. I'm very thankful to be able to be a part of it. How does it feel to be retired? You're retired as we're standing here but for about 20 minutes. You know, I, I made up my mind about a year ago that I was going to retire after I made 10 years of service. And, you know, obviously I didn't want to make it official for a while. I kind of, you know, I didn't want to do it then and make a big deal out of it. I wanted to wait a year and kind of see where it was. And, you know, I called Mark and asked him if he would allow me to do it. And he said yes, and I was thankful for that. So, you know, it's, um, like I said, great privilege. Um, I've been honored. I played a little bit over 10 years in the game. Uh, I got to experience a lot of things. I, I, I caught a no-hitter. You know, I have a World Series ring from, from my time, my very short time with Atlanta. I don't think I deserve that, but, it's you know, it's a good show-and-tell piece. I'll never wear it, but it's a cool thing to see and look at. And um, so it's definitely been a really – I got to experience I, – I just look at it this way. The odds, the odds are total – the odds of playing 10 years in the league and then winning a World Series, I didn't really win it. I was a small, very, very, very small part of it. But being able to just be – Associated with all these different things and experience what I have and play as long as I did, the odds to me is just like so so small and minuscule that you know I, I, I you can't help but be humbled about it um, because it's you know I was an injury or a foul tip away from that being totally different. So I'm very thankful and very honored and blessed to be able to be here. Luke, the thing I probably most remember about you is the very beginning because you came up straight from Double A, which rarely happens for any baseball player, especially a catcher. It's got to be a super short list in the yeah. recent history of this sport. Yeah. Who Was it Greg Zahn who got hurt? Greg Zahn ran over a home plate. Yeah, I got Angel Salome quit in AAA. They called me up. I was like, I was there for a couple weeks. And then I went, then Greg Zahn got ran over by Ian Desmond, and I got called up. So I was up. I went from AA to the big leagues in a manner of a, literally about a month. And so it was, it was insane. Not even a month, like three weeks. So it was, it was insane. It was a whirlwind. But... I would never trade that for anything now. I mean, I look back on that, and I realize, you know, I look back on how difficult that was and how hard that was to, to the anxiety and, the, you know, and the, you know, you, I want to I stay, I want to play, I want to win, I want to I do good, I want to make sure not get sent down, blah, blah, and all that. A lot that goes into that. And, you know, I, it, was, it was a grind, but I'm so thankful for that because it made me smarter, made me better, made me tougher in a lot of different ways. Luke, and some of that happens out on the field. I mean, we can see conversations with pitchers happen, and, and people have memories of that. Um, that's got to be hard to have it happen. Some of it happen out in the open, your learning yep. experience. And look, you know, some of that stuff that happened, you know, I don't hold any grudges or hold personal stuff about all that, you know, and, you know, you're not going to get along with everybody. You're not going to agree with everybody. Some people are going to like you. Some people are going to love you. Some people aren't gonna, you know, aren't gonna love you. So there's, there's this is this is the way world and society is, and that's okay, and I'm okay with that, you know. And I'm gl- grateful that I went through it because I learned a lot about it, and I'm glad not everything was easy. I really am. A lot of things these days, people, a lot of problems with the world today, is people don't like being comfortable. You know, they don't they, they don't like the struggle. They don't like to have to. You know, they don't like to have to get through that, but really the struggle and being uncomfortable is what, is what makes you strong and allows you to overcome and teaches you tenacity, teaches you strength, and teaches you to just keep pushing. So it's, I'm grateful that happened to me. Well, speaking of being uncomfortable and struggling, what was it like to catch Tim Dillard? <laughs> Timmy. You know, it's funny. I remember when he got thrown out of the game for throwing at that guy, and he's like, oh, I didn't do it on purpose. Oh, we, we told him to do it, and he just, he just missed him. <laughs> so I don't want to hear it, but it was uh, that was funny. Yeah, Timmy was awesome. Sidearm, he transformed himself about seven times, and you know, he played like thirty years, I think. I don't know, I, it was amazing. So, do you know they retired his number at AAA Nashville? Well, I hope so. He was there for like two decades. <laughs> Luke, on a serious note, the other thing I'll remember, sort of looking back on your career, besides the individual moments, is you were at the forefront of framing. And that came up with, uh, with Doug Melvin talking, and I think David Stearns mentioned it in the ceremony today. Take us back to those days. And, like, was framing a word you used? And what do you remember about kind of that becoming a part of the game, measuring that? Framing wasn't it. I mean, I was always you – know, framing has changed now, the technique and, you know, all that. Back then it was catch the ball and stop it where it was. And – you know, I had, I had little. I tried to move as less as I could, least amount I could do. I can move, 
and I was a smaller guy, so the umpires were able to get around me and see better. So I basically all I did was is I created a better viewing experience for the umpire and then try to be as quiet, as still, and strong at the same time uh, doing all those three things. And those things are what allowed me to be a good framer so-so. And then as I got... As it evolved, you know, guys like Tyler Flowers started doing the one knee and yanking it up, and, and umpires really started, um, you know, really started to, you know, go, go that direction. And the way I caught started, started to actually be more like the way to not do it. Hmm. And so, because the other way was so much more effective. And, um, you know, but now with the advent of, you know, the automatic strike zone and all that, it's going to be things are going to change and framing's going to go out the window and they're going to start to look toward guys that can either call a game really good, can block and throw, and that can really hit. So the framing aspect will, will go away. What's your favorite memory from your time here? doesn't have to be baseball, Luke, because you referenced that there yeah. a lot happened in your life while you were here too. I mean, I mean, I got married here. My daughter was born here. I'd say those, those are definitely number, top high tied number one. Um, my daughter being born is a very special time, obviously. And, uh, but on the field, I'd say... Whenever Nigel Morgan hit, hit the ball from the middle, <laughs> off J.J. Putts. Tickle, tickled it up he the tickled, middle. He tickled it. That's right. Probably that one. Um, as a, on a team basis, probably that one. Seeing Ryan Braun hit that homer against the Marlins off the, off the scoreboard to clinch the division, that was as close up there as well. Um, and then I'd say probably as a, on, a, on a personal basis, probably the double I hit um, for the record. And then um, – Going to the All-Star Games is pretty amazing, too. So, And, um, yeah, those are all really special. So, yeah, I, I've been very fortunate. Luke, it's got to be really cool. You, is today your daughter's 12th birthday? Did you say that? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, so she's here uh, and gets to see these highlights of you playing. I don't know how often you guys look at that at home or she gets on YouTube. Yeah. And, or, of course, no, I shouldn't say YouTube. MLB.com, obviously, yeah. and looks yeah. at highlights of your career. Um, what's it like to have her see you play? You know, she, she grew up in the big leagues, and she, she grew up going in all clubhouses, and she, it was, you know, when she comes back here, she's like, oh, we're going home, we're going home, because she was born here. So she feels like she's, she's tied to this place, and we always will be because she was born here and because I played here for so long, and we were married here, so we'll always be tied here, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to retire here. Um, not the main, well, one of the main reasons and another main reason is I played here 10 years or overall with minor leagues and big leagues. So huge privilege. And I'm very grateful. Like I said, what's retirement like? It's good. I'm, I'm still going, baby. I'm still running. I'm still rolling. It's awesome. And, you know, I don't, I don't stop. I don't sit on the couch and, you know, eat chips or anything. Like I'm, 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 I'm taking care of my kids and having fun with them, enjoying them. And I'm also uh, doing some other things and some, some consulting work, some private equity stuff, some investing, uh, just trying to, keep going man i don't i don't like i don't like stopping and being you know mediocre i don't want to do that and i'm not going to get fat you know i want to keep going <laughs> well thanks luke that, you know i have said this to other guys who did this for as long as this ballpark stands that plaque's going to be on the wall yeah. um which has got to be a pretty cool feeling when you look at some of the guys who played here for a long time and you're one of them yeah it's a it's a pigeon target now like you said about his uh his uh, statue. I'll never forget it. So um, I'm thankful to have that. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. We appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. All right. Three absolute brewer legends. Great work, Adam. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dish out our stats of the week. Stay tuned. We're back. Final segment of the show. And it's the time everyone wants. Tim. Did, did you do your stat research? You've been doing well with the stats. I'm going to start with you because I feel like I've been saying Adam's name a ton this week. Yeah, I've been trying to keep my voice off this microphone. Um, I, I, I didn't really come up with any great one, but one that really stands out, I think, of just, um, I don't know, just looking for something that's been going on that probably hasn't gotten enough attention. And this one for me is going to be 412. 412, once again, is Yelich's on-base percentage at leadoff, and that is the best in the 47 starts where he batted leadoff. Um, and that's the number two is Waka Waka DJ LeMayhew uh, for the Yankees at 387. So that's 25 points higher. That To get that point across, um, that right there is phenomenal. He is the best leadoff man in baseball. The Brewers have him, and he's been playing every single day. I think he's 
just played his hundredth game, um, and he only played 109 last season. So that's what you're getting is a Christian Yelich that could play well over 150 games this year. I think that's pretty cool. Adam, what's your stat of the week? Well, sorry, mine is not a happy stat. Aww. It is uh, Brewers relievers whip since the trade deadline is 1.46, fifth worst in baseball, 28 walks, fourth worst in baseball. They have to clean that up. And, and if the bullpen sorts itself out in the next week or so, especially it being these big games against the Rays and then at St. Louis, I think that will do a whole lot to calm sort of the, the fan angst and make everybody feel a little bit better. So they've got the arms to do it. It's just uh, they, they have to clean some of that stuff up. So I really wanted to go with two and talk about how Jackson Chirio is the second best prospect in baseball, according to Baseball America, the highest ranked prospect the Brewer in the Brewers organization since Baseball America started doing these top 100 lists. About like I think Ben Sheets was five. That's the other highest. There's a couple who reached five. If I don't rem- if I remember correctly, Ricky was Ricky way up there. Yeah, Ricky was up there. You tell me, Braun? What? Figured Braun. Figured Braun would have been way up there on that list. I think Braun just went too fast to like climb up the prospect. <laughs> Didn't charts. have a chance. He, <laughs> he hit like just, a gazillion like, home runs. It. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I think if he would have been in the minors a smidge longer because they didn't desperately need a third baseman, he probably would have gotten to number one by midseason rankings, but he ends up coming up in May and that surprising that doesn't give him the chance. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm stealing one that producer Ezra sent me yesterday. 1067. That's Keston Hero's OPS this season against righties. And you hear everyone talk about let Keston hit righties, let Keston hit righties. I think it's an anomaly. I think he's a good hitter. It's just funny that he's hit more against righties than lefties. I don't think that'll be a career norm. But that is fourth in baseball behind Jordan Alvarez, Matt Carpenter, and Aaron Judge. The the leader is 109. Keston's 1067. So that's just a crazy stat to me that Keston is out here just destroying right-handers and you know it's nice to see him up getting regular at bats he already has two homers since returning to the team uh one huge one in the ninth inning to tie the game so just good to see Keston up and it's good to see I think we maybe haven't we've given Keston a lot of time a lot a lot of time but I think it's he seemed like a project people were willing to give up on this season. And I feel like he's given the Brewers every reason to stick with him. It's just, they had to find a place to play him because they like all the players at the positions he normally plays. So it's really good to see him come out and play exceptionally well. All right, Adam, today is national book lovers day. I'm asking you for book recommendations. (laughs) And if you say Milwaukee Brewers (laughs) in 50, uh, I think I got the title. It's called the Milwaukee Brewers at 50. If you want to search on Amazon, the Milwaukee Brewers at 50. Anyways, if you say that book, I'm going to hang up this call. (laughs) I will say a book that um, to tie back to the celebration of the 1982 Brewers this week, that was super helpful to me in researching the Milwaukee Brewers at 50 available from triumph books. Uh, it is called Nine Innings by Daniel O'Krent. It uh, it basically was based off a game in 1982, a Brewers game, I think against the Orioles. And uh, he used that as the basis to tell the story of that team and kind of how everybody got there. And it was a really fascinating um, basis for a book and kind of told the story of a game and the construction of a team and all these personalities that came together in 82 for that special season. And he had great access. And it's a really, really cool book that I would highly recommend if you want to get a little uh, history fix. Tim, give me a book that you just love. I'm, I'm, I'm not a readsman. Just say the Milwaukee read. Brewers at 50 then, Tim. You've got a comic <laughs> book. <laughs> yeah, Milwaukee. I haven't read that oh, book Oh, God, I have, I'll one. give you one today. I, I have them at the ballpark. One. 
No, 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 no. No, no, no. Hold right. it hostage. Don't, don't I'm that. making him. I'm holding a bunch of things hostage in return for that bobblehead. Oh, that yeah. We got. still didn't get our bobbleheads yeah, right? from Nashville. You're getting one. I was bringing them today. Okay, good. Um, but yes, that's better than a book recommendation, I guess. Is that what you're trying to get from me? I don't read. I don't really go out of my way to read a lot. I don't even listen to audiobooks, which probably <laughs> makes sense. You're probably like, what's wrong with him? There's something wrong with him. And that's what it is. I don't read. I. I don't know why, um, but I'm a very visual person. I watch tons of movies and can literally watch a movie once and probably recite most of it. So I don't know what that means, but yes, I do need to read more. So I'm kind of feeling more attacked than <laughs> asking for recommendations. <laughs> I'm kidding. <sighs> so let down. Ooh, ten, ten, I read uh, Suter's kids book. <laughs> yeah that's a good kids. one <laughs> is this just going to become a pitch for books written by milwaukee brewers and uh, people connected to I, re- I well i read a ton of books to to uh my youngest right now i mean all my kids really growing up my, my youngest is six and we've gone through like tons of books we went through like the wreck it ralph breaks the internet book we went through star wars like the complete saga book um Pete the Cat. I mean, we're talking about seven, ten pages, but still, does that count as a book? It's it it has a cover, yeah, and has pages in the middle. That's a book. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I'll say Pete the Cat. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go with Name of the Wind. It's one my wife pushed me and pushed me and pushed me to win her to read. If you have an itch for kind of fantasy high adventure and you want that itch scratched because Game of Thrones has been gone for like five years now it, it's a great way to scratch that itch and uh, kind of get back into that game of thrones type mindset although i think there's a new game of thrones series coming out so maybe you won't need a book to do that yeah i just saw the ad for it all right bop 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 go pack go packers preseason starts this week adam are you a football fan if so how many wins are the packers getting this year uh yeah well of course i was um, born in um, 53151, so I'm that's within the borders of Wisconsin, which means I'm by definition a Packers fan. Uh, and I think the Packers will win 11 games this season. 11. All right, Tim, are you a football fan? I'm guessing you're not a Packer fan because you didn't really have that Wisconsin tie. So are you a football fan? Uh, yeah, of course. I watch on Sundays. I, don't, I haven't been to many games. I would love to go. And see a Packers game this year. I think that would be awesome. Um, trying. Have you ever been to Lambeau? Haven't. Haven't been. Oh, no. geez, I don't yes. even know if I have a jacket in my closet that could <laughs> get me through a game. <laughs> so, so a lot of planning that needs to go into it. Uh, no, but I get every Tuesday. I talk to Leroy Butler on the radio. So you know, congratulations to him on the Hall of Fame. I think that's awesome. Uh, very good question asker. Um, has a really good feel for baseball. We have great conversations. I can't wait to meet him in person. I think I owe him a bobblehead. <laughs> uh, so who was your team growing up, Tim? Well, ironically, it was the Packers, just because when I was a kid, they had the uh, these cards that they were on the back of a cereal box. It had like Brett Favre and Reggie White. Mm. You could cut them out. It was like perforated edges. Or maybe it was McDonald's were giving them away. Um, anyway, I collected all of them, and I thought it was awesome. So I was always kind of a Packers fan. I, I don't really know why, wh- where that came from per se. Uh, but yeah, I would have said that's probably my team. Yeah, I think Packers kind of have the benefit, especially if you were a kid born in the 90s and they go to two Super Bowls, they have a three-time MVP. They have the benefit of a lot of that national attention. It's kind of like the Braves effect where there's a lot of Braves fans all over the country, both because they were good in the 90s and because you could watch them almost anywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a similar thing to that. I like McAlvey grew up in Wisconsin. I'm legally required to be a Packers fan. So I'm going to say they get 16 wins this year. 16 to 17. That sounds easy, right? Um, sure. You're very high on the benefits of psychedelics. I can say. <laughs> <laughs> I read that headline. Is that real? I think it's, we'll have to get into this next time. We'll talk about Aaron Rodgers. Self-help. I'm going to go watch Con Air. <laughs> I, no, do you know we're, who we're going to have? Speaking of 53151, we're going to have a graduate of New Berlin Eisenhower on the podcast next week. I'll just leave it at that and people can 
Try to figure it out. We ne- will need to have a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a, a counselor on the show. <laughs> That's all the time we have. Make sure you tune in next week for Adam's best friend to be on the pod. Don't forget to follow our hosts. You can follow Tim Dillard at Dim Tillard on Twitter, Instagram, and watch him on the pre and post game show on Bally Sports Wisconsin. Look for Adam McAlvey at Adam McAlvey on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Read his work on Brewers.com. Apparently, he has some book. Of course, make sure you're following the Brewers on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We'll see you next week.